Hey, Roger. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, man. Uh, thanks for meeting me here at this cafe. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Anytime, man. Uh, what, what'd you want to meet about? Um, well, um, I, I appreciate your friendship, and uh, I just, cool. I, yeah, all right. I just, I, I saw, I couldn't help but see a lot of your posts on Facebook, and I just. Uh, I'm just a little bothered by it, but I wanted to just meet with you face to face. It's just you're slamming the Bible and saying that it's not true and God can't be trusted because the Bible is inaccurate. Yeah. And I yeah. just don't. Well, I mean, I mean, we went to Sunday school together, man. Yeah, we went I to know. church together. We, 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 a, we grew up going to church, but, you know, I, just, I can't believe this anymore. You know, I mean, there's just. There's no, like, archaeological evidence of, like, a worldwide flood. Sure like, I don't even know if, like, the walls of Jericho actually existed. Like, all of this stuff. I mean, like, huh. I just, I find a hard time believing all of this. I mean, it's just not matching up with science. I well, mean, you, I mean, you remember what we learned in Sunday school, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and the Bible is true. I mean, it all goes together. Yeah, I just, I don't understand that, though, because, I mean, like, there's, what, 40 authors over, like, 1,500 years? How is that even possible? How can it possibly be true? Well, like the song says, our God is an awesome God, and he reigns. And so whatever he says, man, so it is. No, but see, that's circular reasoning. That's the problem. It's not circular reasoning. You can't say the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true, and so the Bible's true. So I, I just don't believe it anymore. I mean, it really comes down to faith. You just believe the Bible as the Bible. I mean, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it together, you believe it. See, I just don't believe anymore because there's so much evidence that points that it's just maybe not 100% accurate. And honestly, if it's not 100% accurate, then I don't think I can consider myself a Christian. Um... Uh, can I get you a coffee? Um, I already got a cup. Um, I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, um, oh okay. Can you yeah. hold on one second? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, go for be it. Be careful. I need to text my pastors. <laughs> hey, Daniel, look at this. I just got this text. Wow. Man, that is a great question. Wow. You know what? We should do a series about this. We really should. Yeah. And, and scene. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We will be here all day long. By the way, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in college, and <laughs> I, don't have I got to use it. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Well, we're, uh, we're really glad to be with you. My name's Phil, and this is Daniel, and uh, man, it's, it's been such a joy mm -hmm. uh, growing together and uh, um, meeting with the teaching team. This whole summer series is called You Asked For It, and many of you have texted in, and boy, you have asked for it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I, I really was just expecting nothing wrong with it at all, just expecting questions just to do with, you know, can Christians go to R-rated movies? Can Christians do this. Can Christians do this? How do I parent a kid who won't listen and stuff like that? But guess what? You guys have been sending in like gut-wrencher questions about God and your relationship with God and how you can live that out and understand it. And it's been blowing our minds. And so what we thought would be a laid-back summer just answering questions, 
we're studying and going crazy trying to answer these questions. And so today I'm just going to say it, and I'll say it at the end. We have the text number just for this Sunday. If you have been like just thinking of a question or you're contemplating something or maybe this is your first Sunday and there's some questions that you have about this God and Christianity, text it in today. Today is the only day you can do it because we're planning out the next five weeks. Um, and so, but we just wanted to give you one last opportunity to do that. So, the question today that we're going to answer is this. Can the Bible be trusted? You asked for it. And so we're going to do our best. Um, here's the heart behind our series. And we're going to take a part, uh, two-part uh, series on this question alone, and Daniel's going to touch on that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But here's the two benefits. There's two benefits from this summer series that we don't want you to miss. If you're on vacation, tune in to our live stream on Sundays, or go on our phone app, our Elevation Community Church phone app, or go on to our website and get connected to these messages. Number one is this benefit for you. This series for you is because we want you Uh, to strengthen your faith. We want you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that would be your desire. Uh, These questions that we're going to be answering the next six weeks should shake you to the core as it has us as we're studying these questions. Mm -hmm. Should uh, solidify what it is you truly believe and propel you to growing more and more like Christ Jesus. Number two, the second benefit is for others around you. And so as you grow in your faith and grow in your understanding of all these different questions that people, including skeptics and atheists all around, are, are, are putting you in a corner, that you're going to be able to show them the evidence that lies within you. And you're going to be able to give a hope. There's scripture that's on the screen. We're going to start with it and we're going to end with it. It's found in 1 Peter 3. Chapter 15, 1 Peter 3, chapter 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. Always being prepared. This is why we're doing this series. So take notes. We really encourage you to take notes and listen to the downloads this week. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And that is our desire, that through this series, you will strengthen your own faith and you will be able to give an account to the hope that lies within you to others. And just maybe, just maybe, you may find yourself leading people to Christ this summer. Hmm. How cool would that be? That's awesome. So yeah, over the next two weeks, we are going to be diving into uh, the question, can the Bible be trusted? And this is a question that came up a lot in the text message that we sent in. But I think this is also a question that's really hitting our culture right now. Uh, There's a lot of, there's a movement uh, towards uh, scientific evidence or towards people that put evidence against the Bible, trying to disprove the Bible. And uh, and it's putting our faith kind of in a crucible right now. It's putting our faith on uh, on the line and especially under under fire right now is the Bible. And so we wanted to kind of talk about uh, first, what's the foundation of our faith? We wanted to go into that as a kind of a baseline for all of this. 
And then the next week, we're going to go and look in some of the ugly, weird, bad, interesting scriptures, passages, stories in the Old Testament. So if your questions don't get answered today, please come back. It will be fun, entertaining. We'll have a panel up again to do uh, to tackle some of those. So, uh, so bear with us as we're going through this two-part series. But we wanted to set a foundation uh, for this whole "You Ask for It" series. And I think before we enter into the message, we're going to pray in a minute. But I want to challenge you. Okay, I want to challenge you to take what we're teaching, and I want you to put it to test. I want you to go to the Word. I want you to look up articles by other scholars and teachers. Uh, that preach the word of God as truth, absolute truth, and challenge it. Go deeper yourself and see if what we're teaching is truth, mm-hmm. okay? So let's pray. Father, wow, we need you. Mm-hmm. Your Holy Spirit that brings life to the words in the Bible that we read, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would come alive in us. Father, we exalt you as God over all. Jesus, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, you are our Savior, and you laid down everything for us to bring us healing, to bring us wholeness, and most importantly, to bring us closer in relationship with you through the cross that you died our sinner's death. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that uh, any words that are not of you, that you would silence them before they even come out of our mouths. Teach us. Keep us engaged with you and uh, do what only you can do, Father. And God, I just pray that uh, today is a, is a revelation of your love for us. Uh, Lord, that as, um, as we have so many uh, things that come against uh, our trust and our faith in you, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would make it uh, resoundingly clear to us that you do love us and that you had a plan and that you do have a plan and a purpose for us. And so, Father, I just pray that in all things that you are exalted. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come into this place and fill it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, convict us, convict us of where we may have not aligned ourselves to your truth. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you give us this time. Amen. Amen. All right, let's start. (laughs) Um, Since we like to uh, say that we want to be a church that is real, real people, uh, we don't want to hide issues. God is a God that doesn't hide behind anything. He lays it all out there for you. And so we want to be a church that if we don't know the answers, we're going to tell you we don't know the answers and we're going to, we're going to seek them. But we don't, we, we don't want to just teach on uh, fluffy things. We want to teach on the things that are challenging to us as a body of Christ, but also to our culture. Mm-hmm. And let's just be real. We're going to ruffle your feathers already. Let's be real. There are some unsettling things in the Bible. There are some unsettlingly mysterious things about God. There's unsettling things about religion. There's unsettling things about Christianity and the church. We don't know it all, and it's unsettling. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but I know for me and Daniel and I have talked, sometimes... The childhood faith or the things that we learned in Sunday school or wherever you learned them, so often those things from our childhood collide with adult life and our culture and they collide with everything that's going on around us. And when something's thrown at us, 
that collides with our childhood teaching in our Sunday school, our flannel graph, nothing wrong with that at all. I'm just saying our childhood faith because we grow into an adult. And then when the things in our adulthood challenge our faith and challenge what we learned, we don't know what to do. We hit a wall and it can really challenge us. And for some of us, it can cause us to doubt the faith that we were taught as a kid. And that's scary for us. And the key is, the Bible needs to become personal to you, and you need to experience the God of the Bible so that it's not just the knowledge from childhood. And I think with the core issue of the question here is that if the Bible is true or if the Bible can be trusted, it really puts our entire faith on the line, doesn't it? Uh, because if the Bible isn't true, we'll play devil's advocate, if the Bible isn't true, meaning 100% historically accurate and infallible, then consequently our faith isn't true. That's right. You guys have all grown up, heardin- heard the song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. How does it again? For the Bible tells me so. That's right. And you see, the implication of that phrase is that the Bible is the cornerstone, is the foundation of our faith. And so if, if that's the case, then if the Bible goes, if the Bible disappears, then so does Christianity. Now, before you guys tune me out, walk out, <laughs> leave, throw things at me, I want us to explore the implication of that. Because that can lead us to sometimes a fragile and even a house of cards types of faith. Because if our faith is hinged and founded on the absolute certainty of the Bible, then all we need is maybe one professor, one book, one friend on Facebook that posts a convincing enough argument, and we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt all that we believe. See, statistically, in our community, 50% of the teenagers that grow up in church will abandon their faith. Say that again? 50% of the teenagers that grow up in our culture abandon their faith by the age of 22. Isn't that unsettling? I'm sorry. So your kids, your kids are part of that statistic. Mm -hmm. That's scary. That's Mm mind-boggling. Go ahead, Daniel. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm I'm standing here before you as a living reminder of that statistic. See, I abandoned my faith when I was 17. And through lots of mistakes and lots of heartache, it took me until I was 26 to enter into a real personal relationship with Jesus. So I grew up around, if the Bible says it, then that settles it kind of world. In a place where my life experience and where influences and even science tried to collide with that belief, I ended up beginning to doubt. And as I doubted, my faith wavered. And my faith that I grew up with came tumbling down. Wow. And for me, here's pastors on the stage telling you this. For me, I grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. I went to Sunday school. I went to Wednesday night. I was in Royal Rangers, Awanas. And I loved God. I got baptized at age seven. I knew what I was doing. And I knew God loved me. And I knew that Jesus lived in my heart. But where I struggled, where my house of cards was, is I felt absolutely unintelligent in the scriptures. I even memorized tons of scriptures through Sunday school. But yet, they didn't reach me to the core and become 
personal for me. And so every time, especially going into my adulthood, in college and even in marriage, I did not want to talk Christianity and my faith because I was scared I wouldn't have the answer. And even today as a pastor, I haven't gone to seminary. I feel absolutely uneducated when it comes to giving an answer all the time to every question. And so, so often, if I rely on my insecurities, then now my faith is grounded in my insecurities and it's a house of cards ready to come tumbling down. Have you been there? And I know for us, we want us as a church, as a body, to not be that, to be able to give the hope that lies within us, give an answer to that. And so hopefully today, uh, after this message, you'll have a little bit more confidence to walk boldly and have those conversations. Hmm. So let's get started, shall we? And I just wanted to kind of, sorry, I'm going to stand up because I'm going I'm to talk for a little while and I pace. Uh, so uh, I wanted to just also say that uh, we're not trying to discredit at all right. the Bible. Right. Me and Phil and our staff and our church, we believe in the 100% validity Absolutely. that the Bible is the absolute word of God inspired by him and useful and gives us, teaches us what's wrong and teaches us the truth. Yeah. However, Christianity does not, here we have a quote up here, Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. Any more that you exist because of your birth certificate. You see, your birth certificate documented your birth. And the New Testament documented something that happened. And like I said, next week we are going to go into the good, the bad, and the ugly passages when it comes to the Old Testament. And so we're going to get to that. We're going to get to why the Old Testament was was added to the New Testament scriptures and all the reasoning behind that. But I want to first uh, position something to you or ask you to, to think about this. Our Christianity does not exist because of a Bible. It's the other way around. The Bible existed because and exists because of Christianity. And to, to point that, I'm going to do a little bit of history lesson. Uh, for Woo-hoo! those of you, yeah, I know. Some of you guys are like, oh, no. And we have a timeline, so if you want to go ahead and put that up. And it's for you that love history, you guys love timelines. I love seeing, like, when all the dates line up and everything like that. And for all the other people that are here, you're dying a slow death right now. You're like, this is... This is the worst Sunday. Why did I even come here? Uh, So, for all of you, just bear with me. Um, But I want us to look at this, and I want us to show the importance of these dates and how it is impactful to uh, us today. So the first date is 30 A.D., and this is right around, we say right around 30 A.D. because there's a conflict between the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar, which is what we have right now. It's complicated. I won't really get into that, but we say about 30 B.C., or A.D., sorry, is when... Uh, Jesus died when he was risen from the dead and when the church came about. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was on the earth for another 40 days. And he met with and was seen by uh, more than 500 people, 500 eyewitnesses accounted to his resurrection. And then a, a few months after he ascended, the Holy Spirit came down and the 112 apostles, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus that were there at Pentecost, received the Holy Spirit, and then from there, 3,000 people came to know Jesus, and the early church was born. So this wasn't years and years and years after the resurrection of Jesus. This happened a short 
few months, a few weeks after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the early church was born. So the next important date right here is 70 A.D. And this is when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. You see, in 66 A.D., Vespasian, who eventually became the emperor of Rome, uh, there was a Jewish revolt going on, and this was part of the first Jewish-Roman war. And he was coming down from the north, and he was hitting all kinds of towns, and he was taking over all these areas and funneling all the people into Jerusalem. And then there was the siege of Jerusalem. He left, Vespasian left, went to Rome to become the emperor. His son took over Titus, and the siege of Jerusalem was broken on August 6, 70 A.D., once again, you guys are probably saying, why are we doing this? Why are we going through this history lesson? This is not what I anticipated. And that's okay. We'll get there. This was such an impactful event in history. Not only that, the, the, the uh, Titus and the Romans enslaved ten to thousands to a hundred thousands of uh, slaves, Jewish people that became slaves, so much that it drove the price of the slave market down in Rome. This was a huge event. And this was happening, and it was happening on Palestine. And what's interesting is that those events, all that stuff that's happening in the first Jewish-Roman war, is five years of terror and turmoil happening in Palestine. None of that is referenced in our early manuscripts. In the early manuscripts of the New Testament, no one references the temple being destroyed. And the logical explanation for that is that it hadn't happened yet. So that means that the early manuscripts that we have from the New Testament predated the destruction, most likely predated the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. See, there's 40 years difference. They say that probably most of them started in 49 A.D. to about 69, potentially uh, 86 A.D. But either way, what this means for us today is that this was not legend. This was not embellished Stories. This wasn't a group of disciples that wanted to go on a power trip and, re- and make up a story that their dead Savior had risen from the dead. This was not about that because why this can't be legend is that it takes at least 70 to 100 years for legend to actually sound like history. And the reason that is is that all the eyewitnesses have to be dead. If an eyewitness is alive, they can refute what you are saying. And so all of this, this is why these dates are important. All of this happened while eyewitnesses were still alive. And it's also important to note that all of the New Testament scriptures are written in a way that is uh, written in a manner uh, that historians write. So they're just like in our day, there is ways of writing fictional novels. You word things differently. Uh, There's ways uh, for historians to write historical documents back in the New Testament times. So I want to take a look at this scripture, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to pronounce all these names right. But in Luke 3, 1 through 2, Luke says this. Better you than me, bro. I know. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, uh, being governor of Judea, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Atria and Trichonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Wow. Now, Good job. Thank you. <laughs> I thought he was going to say tendonitis. I, I, I was, I was going to say tendonitis. <laughs> but 
So here's the interesting thing about that. We read that and we skim over that every time. I read that and I'm like, I don't really care about that. There's a lot of names I can't pronounce. But what is Luke doing here? He's pinning himself in a corner in a period of history. He's saying, hey, fact check check me. This is, this is all the stuff that was going on when I am writing this. Yeah. Now, see, if you're writing something made up, you're not going to do that because that puts, exposes you too much. Your life's gonna, on the line, yeah. Yeah, you're going to say something like, a uh, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You're not going to say, yeah, I know. Good job, bro. <laughs> anyway. It's amazing what they clap at. I know. You guys are so supportive. Uh, and so you see, like, you see all these instances, and you can read, there's so many instances in the New Testament where you have random facts of information that come up, and there's other, there's other truth tests that we can go to the, uh, uh, to the um, early manuscripts and the early documents. We don't have time to go into them. There's the honesty test. There's the collaboration test. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of things that we can look at that point to the validity of our New Testament documents. But since the eyewitnesses were, uh, w- would have been able to refute any false documents, we can conclude that, that our early manuscripts for our scriptures were not legend. They were not embellished. And not only that, so here's the other question that we have too. Is since it was so long ago, how do we deal with all the copies? You know, all these changes. All these changes that happened to the manuscript. How do we know that they are true and valid? And so we have this clip here from Pastor Andy Stanley in uh, Atlanta. Here's what happened. These documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Paul's epistles, all of these documents are so valuable to the first century church that what do they do? They run down to Kinko's. It's like, I want to have my own copy. Oh, there's no Kinko's. So what do they do? They begin to meticulously copy these documents. Now, here's something you don't know, but it's just one of those unexplainable mysteries of history. In the first century, there is an explosion of documents and documentation about the life of Jesus and the copies of the letters of Paul and Peter and James. I mean, there is nothing to match this in any ancient history. In fact, there's nothing to match this until the creation of the printing press. The the idea that so many people would write so many things and meticulously copy the the core essential teachings of the church for it to, to circulate the way it did, there's nothing like it. There's not even anything close. These documents were distributed to Rome, from Jerusalem, to Constantinople, um, to Egypt, um, all around the Mediterranean rim. In fact, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these documents. Now, when you go to school or when people kind of say, ah, the New Testament or the Bible, can't believe the Bible, there are lots of errors and they just copy, copy, copy. Look up here. That is so ignorant. That, that's just somebody who doesn't want to take the time to look at the facts. That's somebody who's lazy. But if you are interested in stepping back toward the God that you grew up with, but the grown-up version, if you are really interested when you look at the facts, the facts are so extraordinarily overwhelming. Let me ask you a question. What do you make copies of? I know the answer. You make copies of things that are important. I mean, you throw stuff away all the time. But maybe years and years ago, you actually hand copied something. Or now it's like, oh, I want to make sure this doesn't fade over time. I'm going to copy it. Or I'm going to go down, I'm going to go to my copy or make copies. We only copy things that are important. And let me tell you what, wax tablets and the things that they wrote with were so expensive and so precious, it is even more evidence as to how valuable these documents were that they, were ma- they weren't writing new things. They were making copies of things and distributing them all over the place. They were user name and password careful, 
okay? Because this was so extraordinarily important. And again, you hear, well, there's mistakes. And you know, anybody that writes something, there's mistakes. Absolutely. There are thousands of variations in these documents because they were copied so many times and dispersed so broadly. Here's the great news. There are thousands of documents that can be compared to each other. And guess what? If you have an English study Bible, any English study Bible in the footnotes of a Bible you probably already own are the variants that make or could possibly make any difference in what's being said or taught. This is why every once in a while in a footnote, it'll say an earlier document says this, an earlier manuscript says this, a later manuscript says this. You know why? There's nothing to hide. And the variance in the documents makes no theological or historical difference. Zero. In other words, you know what's really interesting about those early manuscripts? So since it was so expensive and so hard to copy manuscripts, uh, the second most uh, documentation that we have of an ancient document is the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, by the Greek poet Homer, uh, very famous documents. We have about 643 copies of that from the ancient text, ancient manuscripts. Do you know how many copies we have of New Testament manuscripts? 24,633. Second place, 643. First place, New Testament, 24,633. All of this is going to show that there is there was validity in these documents. So we're going to go back to the timeline and we're going to finish this really quick. So the next part of the timeline is you see Constantine in 312 AD. This is when he defeated his rivals and became the undisputed emperor in, uh, in Rome. And you know what he did when he, di- when he did that? He made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. And you know why he did that? He did that not because he was a Christian. His mother actually became a Christian was Christianity was legal. But he did that because he wanted to unite the empire. Think about that. Within, between 30 AD, when 120 followers of Jesus were, in, were at Pentecost, to 312 AD, the Christianity had toppled an empire. It had toppled the Roman pantheon, the barbarian, and most of the Egyptian gods and became the uniting force of a Roman empire. And all of this happened before we had personal manuscripts, before we had the Bible. To Biblia, which is right there, which is the which means the books in the Greek, didn't come until 388. All of this happened. Christianity had its greatest explosion. The first church exploded, not because we had a Bible. Christianity exploded because there was an unstoppable movement centered around one man and an event, the resurrection, and it changed history. And since going back of where we started, since the Bible exists because of Christianity, our faith, our faith is grounded in believing what we believe, not because manuscripts, but because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Mm -hmm. That is what our faith is based in Mm -hmm. and based on. Our identity and our faith is grounded in Jesus Christ being who he said he was. That's what our faith is in, not just because a book told us so. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that book we're referring to is the Holy Scriptures of God. Absolutely true, breathed from God. But we're saying it, our faith, Christianity, is based in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Mm-hmm. The Bible 
here we go. The Bible has never, ever in history saved somebody from eternal hell. Never. But Jesus has. Mm -hmm. His death and resurrection has. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come into relationship with me and the Father except through me, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, before you start throwing things at me, um, let's look at the Word, the Holy Scriptures, divinely written through human men, inspired by the Holy Spirit that dwelt within them. Hebrews 4, chapter 12, the New Living Translation says this, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Paul is saying it's real, or, or the author of Hebrews anyways, we don't, we're not specifically sure, but it's real, it's powerful, it's life-changing. However, the Bible in of itself does not have the power to save. It's only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, The gospel of Jesus means the good news of Jesus. For it has the power to, what does that say? Save. The power to save. Now, however, going back to the importance of the relationship of Christianity to Jesus Christ and not salvation necessarily through a book, even though, again, we're talking, the Bible is the Holy Scriptures. But 1 Corinthians 15 says this, The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth. And he says this, And if Christ, if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then our preaching to you is absolutely vain and empty, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So what Paul is saying to us in Elevation Community Church today in 2017 is if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, Let's pack up and let's go home. Mm -hmm. Christianity is based on the life, the sinless life, the birth, the the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of the Son of God. Mm -hmm. That's Christianity. And so now what we have to answer in three minutes or less is did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if Christianity rests on that fact, then we have to be 100% sure that that is true. And everyone you talk to, historically and in the Bible, and the scholars, they say, yes, yes. So let's look at five E's really quickly. Five E's that gives us confidence today that Jesus Christ truly raised from the dead. Number one is this execution. Jesus Christ was clearly dead The Journal of American Medical Association analyzed the historical data, the medical data, and said clearly he was dead even before the spear pierced into his side. Number two, we have the empty tomb. Nobody, nobody in ancient history denied the fact that the tomb was empty. Nobody. Not even the religious leaders that killed Jesus in the first place. But what they argue about and they still debate about today is how the tomb got empty. 
And one of the biggest claims that the religious leaders brought up right away was the disciples stole their body. But that falls short every time because they didn't have the means, the motives. They didn't have it. And so, um, number three is eyewitnesses. 515 eyewitnesses. Now, this is including skeptics, including the Apostle Paul. Skeptic. He was killing Christians to, to drown the movement of Christianity. And guess what? He met the risen Savior, Jesus, on Damascus Road. And so, eyewitnesses. 515 lives transformed because of their encounter with the risen Jesus. This is not a legend. This is not a hallucination. It's not wishful thinking. This was reality. So much so that lives that were changed laid down their lives and were tortured and killed for their faith. No one makes up stuff and completely tortured and lay down their life and their family's life for a myth. And fourth, we have early records. Early records, these many, many, many documents that Daniel was just talking about have been preserved for us. And these documents all proclaim the faith that is founded in the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ. One of the many examples in Scripture, write this down if you're taking notes, we're not going to dwell on it, but it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Paul is reminding the Christians in Corinth of the creed, the belief. So this isn't something new when he's writing it. He's reminding them of the belief that they found in Jesus Christ to keep that fan or that flame going. He says this in, chapter, in verse 3, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Then he mentions the names of specific eyewitnesses who were changed. Now this creed, this Christian creed, that is all throughout the New Testament scriptures, has been dated back from scholars from a wide range of different theological beliefs as possibly as early as 24 to 36 months. The creed written in written form and starting to spread throughout after the life of Christ. 24 to 36 months after the life of Christ. And the beliefs of that creed go directly back to the cross. Back to the scene back to reality second timothy uh before i go to second timothy let's just stop there and yes the bible is true the bible points to christ and we're going to touch on that in just a minute but what is the proof that can't be argued because we're arguing still the bible and debating about the bible and the things of god but what can't be argued is the life change and that's the fifth E is the emergent church. How do you explain? How do you explain the sudden explosion of the Christian faith just a few weeks after the horrible, humiliating death on the cross? How do you explain that? How can you explain that apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How can you explain that on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people that day believed in Jesus, repented of their sins, and encountered the risen Savior through the Holy Spirit. That cannot be argued, and neither can your faith through that explosive experience of meeting the risen Savior Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
And so 2 Timothy says this about the Bible before you think that we're discrediting the Bible. We're not. This is what 2 Timothy 3 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is important. Now, the purpose of the Bible is not that you would come to know a head knowledge. Are you with me? Know the Bible. It's not for, the purpose of the Bible is not for you to have just a head knowledge. Know the Bible inside and out. Live out every bit, every single iota. Be able to answer every single skeptic's question. And the purpose of the Bible is not that you would build your identity around the book. The purpose of the Bible is to lead you in relationship with the God of the Bible who has been radically pursuing a relationship with us. My pastor in college, David Holt, said this. Love this, and I love, I love him. Uh, he's just uh, impacted my life. But he said this. The largest 15 to 20 inches in the entire world is the distance from your brain to your heart. You can know everything there is to know about God, but if you haven't experienced him, and you haven't experienced that life change, then what have you got to lose? So all of this is good news for us today. It's good news for us. Why? It's because you don't need to be an archaeologist. You don't need to be a geologist. You don't need to be a Bible scholar or even a preacher to share your Christian faith and to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. Our faith does not hinge on the validity of the scriptures, even though they're valid and they are the words of God. But our faith hinges on the reality that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. Mm -hmm. And that he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he took our place on the cross. And he arose again in victory so that we can have confidence and have relationship with God the Father. Quick illustration. How many of you are married? Yeah, there was a little bit of insecurity there on the, the hand raise. My marriage certificate, okay, I have one from... Uh, January 10th, 2004. I have a marriage certificate. It's a documentation of what? An event. Not a relationship. It's a documentation of an event. Anyone could challenge that the documentation that tells me that I'm married to Lauren has mistakes and errors and contradictions and misinterpretations in that document. And then they could actually therefore argue that my marriage is invalid and not legit. They could. Because they're looking at the documentation of an event. However, that will never convince me that I don't have a radical relationship, covenant of a, a marriage with my wife. I have a relationship with my wife that I don't have a relationship with any one of you. Thank God for that. <laughs> but to the contrary... You could be carrying around a documentation and a ring on your finger, and you could be talking about that your marriage and say that you're married till your lips are blue, but if you don't have a true relationship and a covenant relationship with your spouse, are you really married? Just because a piece of paper tells you you are? So we're going to go back to that scripture that we started with, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. Jesus as Lord and holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that lies within you. Did you catch that? 
Did you catch that? Underline that in your scripture. He didn't say, give an account, be ready to give an account for the skeptic's questions of why this and why this and why this. Although that's important and the Bible gives us answers to that. Paul is saying, be prepared to give an account for the hope that's within you. That lives within you. You know that the Bible says that Jesus is the word from the beginning was the word and it was with God and was God. That very word is living inside everyone who calls Jesus as Lord and follows him. And so now, the question is, what about you? What about your faith? Mm -hmm. Daniel, can you touch just real quick about the Old Testament? Yeah, and um, that was awesome, Phil. Thank you. Uh, I think it's really important to know that, like I said, we said earlier, we believe 100% in the scriptures. We believe when it says, 2 Timothy 3.16, that it's all inspired by God. Uh, but it's, what's interesting to note is why we have the Old Testament scriptures, because I would assume that most of us here are not Jewish or not following Judaism right now. But we have the Old Testament scriptures because of Jesus. You see, Jesus said that I, he pointed back and said that I am the fulfillment of all these scriptures. So you had so many people that were not Jewish have so much interest in the Old Testament scriptures. And so we attached it to the New Testament scriptures. They attached them together because Jesus was pointing back to them. It's all because of Jesus. And so when we look at the Old Testament scriptures, we need to look at it through the lens of Jesus and what Jesus said about it. That he said, I'm the fulfillment of it. And the second thing is that Jesus also believed. He taught out of the Old Testament scriptures. And so uh, I think a lot of the debate happens of, of a lot of the events in the Old Testament. I would say that majority of the people that struggle with the Bible have an event that they're clinging to in the Old Testament that they just feel like, I can't believe this. But really, our faith is not hinged on the validity of a story in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's hinged on the validity that Jesus was here, that he died, that he rose from the dead, he ascended, and now he's, and he's coming back and he gave us his Holy Spirit. And we have so much documentation of that that people don't even refute that. There's so much documentation about that. And so it becomes, when somebody tries to challenge the Bible, we want this to be kind of one of those things where we were having that conversation earlier. I know that many of you have people that you know that if you sat down at a coffee shop, you could have that very same conversation. And we wanted to give you and equip you with something that was far greater than a house of cards. That you had to know every single evidence. And you had to point to every single... And you had to have a like, list of all your documents that you had. And you had to be an archaeologist. And you had to be a Bible scholar. We're just here to share hope. Yeah. We're just here to share hope. And we're sharing hope in our relationship with Jesus. And what he's done for us. And how he has changed us. Can the band come up? We're going to respond with a creed with a creed of what we believe but first i just want to leave it with you i know you had just like a fire hose experience of all this information thrown at you and that's why i'm so thankful we have youtube now and we have our uh, phone app and website that you can go and listen to this and go and dig into the scriptures yourself and challenge it mm -hmm. but let me just ask you where's your faith what about you where are you where are you in all of this? If you were to meet someone right now in a coffee shop, a grocery line, a gas station, the cubicle next to you at work, your neighbor across the fence, what would you say for the hope that lies within you, where your faith is grounded? Is your faith grounded in knowledge? Mm 
of the Bible? Or is your faith grounded in relationship with the God of the Bible? Mm -hmm. Now, the knowledge is important, but knowledge without relationship is just knowledge. Knowledge with relationship is life change. Mm -hmm. I want that life change. I want elevation to be known for life change. Mm -hmm. Not being able to answer every question and just have this head knowledge and be able to quote every scripture that comes our way. All that's great if it takes you deeper into a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so where are you? Where are you? So would you just close your eyes as we uh, get ready to go into worship? Maybe you've never had a relationship with the God of the Bible at all. Maybe you've never opened your life to the God of the Bible. You see, you can have confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ of who he says he is. You can have confidence for what Jesus has done for you, and then you can have confidence for what Christ has done in you. And all you have to say is, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you came for me. I believe that you died for my sins. You were without sin, and you suffered everything that I will ever suffer And you died the sinner's death when you didn't have to. You weren't necessarily forced on the cross. You went to the cross for me. And you died. But the power of God rose you from the dead. And you are relentlessly pursuing a relationship with me. And I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to consume me. I ask you to overwhelm me with your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And teach me through your word. Teach me what it is means to look more and more like you, Jesus. We believe in you, we trust in you, and we worship you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing this song and then we'll be done.